says that he who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Father, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you for your word that is living, that is active, Lord God, and that is able to deliver us to the uttermost, my God. Lord, today we humble ourselves before you, and we ask you, Spirit of God, to speak to us. We ask you to give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, my God. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity that I have to share your word with your people, and I pray that you would bring edification to their lives, glorification to your name, Lord God. And that I would decrease, that you would increase. I pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. We're excited today. We get to have our children with us. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for our children that are with us in the sanctuary? We have some of our teachers are out of commission. They're not feeling well. And so... Um, Minister Dawn made an executive decision this morning, praise the Lord, and we applaud that and we appreciate that. They get to see their parents worship and hear the word, amen? amen. So parents don't fall asleep. <laughs> amen me to death, you know, be like, yo, this is how we do it in church, glory to God. So when they get up in here, they'll go over and be like, amen, come on, preach, teacher, hallelujah, <laughs> glory to God. Hallelujah. So we're in the book of Proverbs and we are continuing on in this book, um, this is our seventh, um, this is our seventh, my seventh message that I'm preaching here. And today's message is entitled The Root of Wisdom. The Root of Wisdom. Um, by now we should be clear that wisdom is crying out. Amen? I, I reiterate this every week. Every week I say as, as we started out in this series that wisdom is crying out everywhere, all the time, in every place that we are, in our workplaces. There is the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly that is continuing to cry out. In our neighborhoods, those voices are crying out. In our media, those voices are crying out. You can see those voices crying out continually. And the bigger question for us, or question should I say, that we should ask ourselves is, number one, are we crying out for wisdom? The, the, the fact is, wisdom is crying out. The question is, are you crying out for wisdom? The Bible says that we should be asking God for his wisdom, especially in different areas of our lives. As a matter of fact, I'll say it this way. There should never be a time that we're not asking for wisdom because if we are really going to obey the scriptures which command us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is, then what does that mean? That means that I am on a continual pursuit of what? Of the wisdom of God, which is Jesus. Therefore, I should be crying out continually for wisdom in my life. I shouldn't think I've arrived. I, I know some of us, you know, we get to a certain place in our life and we like hit cruise control. Can I tell you something? There is no cruise control in Christianity. That's called backsliding. Oh, Y'all ain't hearing me. There is no cruise control in Christianity. That is called backsliding. That means you are not pursuing him. That means you are not going after him. That means you think you've arrived. You've died to yourself enough. You've got enough things in order. That is called backsliding because that leads you into something that is called self-righteousness. That's what occurs to us whenever we decide we're going to hit cruise control because I've arrived and I'm waiting. See, oh, glory to God. I'm waiting for other folk to catch up to me. When they catch up, then I'll start growing again. No, you're not. Because you're going to find out something. You're going to be back with them again. And guess what? This is the thing that's amazing. When we decide that we are going to just chill out and relax, you know how hard it is to get the momentum to move forward again? Mm -mm, Y'all ain't hearing me. Listen, it is hard for, for you to go, you know, once, once the momentum happens, you know, whatever you're doing, you get the momentum going, it's good. But once the momentum stops, man. And I got to start that over again? Difficult. And so don't hit cruise control, amen? So the first question that's important for us to ask is, am I crying out for wisdom? If you're not crying out for wisdom, I hope that you will repent of that and that you will begin to cry out for wisdom from God, not just today, but every day of your life. The second thing is, when you are crying out for wisdom, for those of you that are crying out, because here's the other thing. One thing is that we hit cruise control. The other thing is that we come to the place where we're crying out for wisdom, but we are not seeking it in the place where we should be. We are looking for wisdom, something to come out of our heart or come out of our situation. But the Bible says we're supposed to search for wisdom as for hidden treasure. Amen? 
Those are the scriptures that we looked at. So where is it that we're supposed to search for wisdom? Well, the title of the message today is what? The root of wisdom. So where is it that you think we're supposed to go? According to these scriptures here that we'll look at today, we will learn that the root of wisdom is found in the wisdom of God that is the scriptures of God. And so when, when we say are we digging into, um, or are we digging for or searching for wisdom daily as for hidden treasure, the place that we should be doing that is in the scriptures. It's more than just, see, you got to remember that when you, when you look at the book of James that tells us that ye who lacks wisdom to ask for wisdom, the whole New Testament wasn't written. But when he was saying that, what you see throughout the New Testament is what is the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament doing? What is the Apostle Peter who wrote other books in the New, in the, in the New Testament? Or the Apostle John or Jude? What are these people doing? They are all taking the Old Testament of the Scriptures and they are applying them to daily life. That is wisdom. The application of knowledge. And so what are we supposed to do? Well, we have been blessed because we have the New Testament. Amen? And so we are able to dig into the scriptures. We are able to seek God and cry out to him. And so if we are crying out for wisdom, and, 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 and then we don't need to repent of that part if we are doing that. But then the other places, where am I searching for it? Am I looking for wisdom in the place where God has put it and, and, and the root source? And it's not to say that God does not speak to us outside of the Bible. Amen? Amen? But it is to say that God primarily speaks to us through the scriptures. Primarily, look, don't, 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 we don't, we don't need to go pay a prophet, amen? We, we don't need to go pay someone to give us a word. We don't need to do that kind of stuff. That is in the Old Testament that they did that. I, you, you will be hard-pressed to find in the New Testament where they went, you know, like, like, like Saul. You, you all remember Saul, right? Saul went looking for his daddy's donkeys, and they, and they got lost. He was like, man, we're going to have to go and get, get a word because we need to find these donkeys. And so what did they do? They went, and they found the prophet Samuel. And, and when they're getting ready to go over, they're like, well, what are we going to give him? That's what they said. What are we going to give him? What, what are we, because we can't go to him empty-handed. Now, move to the New Testament. You don't find that stuff anymore. You don't find that people are going to find a prophet with a word. Why? Because the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of believers. And so we have the, the, the written word of God and we have the inspirer of the word of God dwelling in us and that is the Holy Spirit. So today we will discuss the root of all divine wisdom. My, my father on earth, he always says this. He says the root will determine the fruit. The root will determine the fruit. And so it is important for us to ensure, for us as Christians, to ensure that the source of all the wisdom that we heed is aligned with the scriptures. Because if the root is bad, the fruit will be bad. And so if the root source of the wisdom that I'm listening to or that you are listening to is bad, if you're receiving bad counsel, you end up in the place like Solomon's son. You remember Solomon came into the kingdom and he, and he, did, he messed up stuff, right? He, you know, started worshiping other gods. But then his son, I believe his name is Rehoboam, he comes up after him and he goes and he gets counsel from two different groups of people. You remember that story? He goes to one group, the older people, right? Says, hey, how should I handle this situation? He's like, man, tell the people you're not going to be like your daddy, daddy you know, all this and that. He goes to the young bucks. How should we handle this? Like, man, you need to go back and tell them people you're going to be harder than your dad. You're going to be worse than him. This young ruler listened to the wrong wisdom. And what did he do? He went back and told him, I'm going to be harder. I'm going to be worse than my dad. And it is at that point that the kingdom was divided. Brought division because he listened to the wrong voice of wisdom that was crying out. The voice of folly. The one that sounded right. And, that is, and we got to make sure that we are listening to the right voice. The reason why fruitfulness becomes so important when we're talking about the root of wisdom, the reason why the fruit becomes so important is because in the book of John, chapter 15, you can write that scripture down and you can meditate on it later. Jesus is communicating to his disciples and he's talking to them and he's saying that he is the vine, that we are the branches. And he says that in this, if you read through there, he says, my father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit. So the reason why we look at the root is because we want to make sure that we are doing what? We are bringing glory and honor to the Father. Here's what I want you to get. You and I cannot fabricate fruit. You can't make, you, you can't make up fruit. If, you're, if it's a good tree, Pastor Robert said that somebody asked him last week. I don't know who it was, so it doesn't matter. Um, but here's the thing. Someone asked him a good question. Is that your opinion? Well, Jesus supports his opinion. Hallelujah. And it's good when Jesus supports your opinion. I just want to say that. It's a good thing when you don't have to look too far. Jesus said that a good tree will bear a bad tree. 
There's no in-between. Was it, was it like an almost good tree? It was, there wasn't anything like that. There was a good tree, bad tree, period. That's all that it is. There's, there, there's a good tree and there's a bad tree. What makes you good? Because you're good? No. What makes your fruit good? Because you do such good things? No. You can do great things and that still be bad fruit. Why? Because the root is bad. Because if the root of all your good works is because you want glory, if the root of all your good works is because you want to feel good about yourself, that is bad fruit. If the root of your good works is because you acknowledge that Jesus died for me, you acknowledge that everything that I am able to do that is called good is only because there is one good, and that is Almighty God. When the root of my fruit is that, that is good fruit. And so no matter how we look on the outside, Jesus doesn't just look at the outside. Mind you, what we do matters. But hear me, church, it is not about the outside. Jesus is looking at the inside. But don't twist that and say, well, God knows my heart. He does know your heart, but he also sees your works. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because a lot of people want to come back with that. Well, he knows my heart. Yeah, you're right, and that's a bad thing. He does know your heart. And usually we say that when our works are not aligning with his word. He knows my heart. Yeah, he does know your heart, and you're wicked. And you need to repent, you need to turn from your sin, and you need to stop excusing yourself and start turning to him and asking him for grace to live out the gospel. Here's what I'll say. The value that we place on the scriptures in practice reflects our value of God. Let me say that again. The value we place upon the scriptures in practice reflects our value of God. Why do I say that? If somebody tells me, I want you to think about this as a parent for a moment. I'm a parent. I have a daughter. And let's just say that my daughter never talks to me, never listens to me. Right? She wants to live in my house. She wants to eat my food. And she wants an allowance. Because she needs to spend the money, right? Now, does she really value me? Or does she value what I give her? If she never listens to me, she never sits down and has conversation with me, never listens to my counsel, but wants my shelter, she wants my provision, and she wants an... Hold on a second. That is how many of us treat Jesus. Oh, I appreciate God. Yeah, you appreciate what he gives you. But you don't appreciate him enough to sit down with him and spend time with him. And when I say spend time with him in his word is what I'm saying. When we don't put emphasis on the scriptures. When I, see, when I sit down, when you sit down and you, and, and you sit, sit down with your Bible open wherever, at what time you do this. When you do that, what you are simply saying to God is you are saying, your words matter to me. Your counsel matters to me. I want to know what you say about life. I hear what everybody else is saying because media is bombarding me, my friends, neighbors, coworkers. Rah, rah. It's all there. But I want to sit down, separate time because I know you. You know, Bishop yells, you don't. <laughs> Bishop be like, y'all ain't hearing me? You just whisper. Seriously. Bishop is animated and you just give me all kind of animation in the scriptures. Be like, this is how God is. This is what happens. And so when I don't sit down with God, I don't take time to break the bread of life, I don't value him. No matter what I say, I do not value him. And so the question for us today, and I'll get to this again at the end, it is one big thing. Do you really value the scriptures as being the root of all wisdom? And don't say yes if you don't read your Bible. Don't say yes if the only time you get into the scriptures is when what? Is when you come to church. Don't say yes because you're lying to yourself. But Jesus loves you. Amen? And he wants you to repent of that sin and he wants you to value him because you know what? He's got a lot of good stuff to say to you. He's got some hard stuff to say too. He'll use me to say most of that. But he has some stuff that he wants to say to you. 
He wants to minister to you. I say this one, one, one little story. I remember when I first got saved, I was, I was totally um, radically transformed by Jesus in such an amazing way. I didn't have a job. I didn't go to school. I was like almost 18 years old. And I remember that I used to spend, seriously, and this is not, you know, no joke, I used to spend like eight hours a day because I didn't have anything else to do. And I would be praying and reading the Bible and just spending time, time, time with the Lord. And like the first three months of being a Christian, I remember reading the whole New Testament. And so God was dealing with my life. And I remember one day I came to the book of 1 Timothy, I think it is, a 2 Timothy. And as I'm reading through there, and the Lord is speaking, to, and, and you know, Paul is speaking to Timothy. The Lord is speaking to, through, to Timothy through Paul, through this letter. He gets to the part where he tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And I remember that as I began to read those scriptures, I began to weep. I didn't even know what an evangelist was. Now listen, this is important for, for you to get because you may not understand everything, but guess what? God is still speaking to you. Today I know what an evangelist is. Today I know what an evangelist does. And so I get what Jesus was communicating to me that day in my prayer. And listen, he wants to do the same thing to us. He wants to do that collectively to your life as individuals, but to us as a church, he wants to have our ear. And the only way he does that is right here through the scriptures, by letting the scriptures speak to us. So the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our greatest source, our greatest source. of satisfaction, satisfaction should be found. In our faith-based obedience to the word. Let me say that again. You don't have to repeat this. Our greatest source of satisfaction should be found in our faith-based obedience to the word. I put faith-based in there after I wrote that whole sentence out. And the reason is because a lot of times we will find great satisfaction in obedience to the word, but that is just self-righteousness many times. And what happens is we begin to know all of the do's and the don'ts of our Bible. Amen? You hear it enough. You read it enough. You know the Ten Commandments. You know what God wants. You obey. You feel good about yourself. No longer are you depending on grace. No longer are you, de- no longer are you acknowledging where you are falling short because you have met your checklist. Listen to me. It's not just about that isolated obedience to the 10 or 15, 20, 30, 100 things that you wrote down that you think you have to do. There is much more that God wants to deal with us on. And so when I say faith-based obedience, it's an obedience that comes out of a real understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I don't obey because I have to. I obey because I get to. There's a difference. I delight in the Lord. It's not a hardship for me to say no to sin, to say yes to Jesus. Does that mean that I'm not tempted? Absolutely not. You are going to be tempted. Does that mean that I don't fall short? You will fall short. That is going to happen. But here becomes the reality. The reality is that when I'm living out of the faith in Jesus, it's different than living on my own strength. Faith-based obedience brings a greater level of satisfaction. What I love about our God is that he always gives us a choice. Say that with me. He always gives us a choice and his choices are two and it's always the same his ways are our ways period that is the choice that he gives us his ways are our ways he is also clear on what our choices will produce in other words he's clear what kind of fruit our choices are going to produce and I want to say this while bearing fruit isn't primarily for our benefit in other words when I bear fruit it's not for me to eat an apple tree don't eat its own apples did you hear me Someone else eats the apples from that apple tree. And so the point of the matter is, it's not just for us to experience. We are going to experience the benefit of the life of Jesus. But the real reason why we are fruitful is because it brings glory and honor to Jesus. And other people benefit from the fruit that we bear. So the first thing that he says here in chapter 13, verse 13 through 15, look at it with me. It says here, or 13 through 14, this, this, this is the verse where we started. He who despises the word will be destroyed. But he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And so the first thing we see is we are offered what? We're offered two things. Destruction, say destruction, or reward, say reward. Which one do you think God wants you to have? God wants you to be rewarded. That's what he wants. He wants us to experience his reward. That's what he wants. It's by faith, you know, that that we please him, that we believe that he is, that we diligently seek him, and that we are rewarded. That's what he wants us to be rewarded. But the thing is this. He says it clearly. We will either experience destruction, and by the way, the word destruction there is actually in the original. It means to be indebted to. 
So those who despise the word, they are going to be indebted to who? God Almighty. So you either have a debt that you're going to have to pay, or you're rewarded with what? With the grace of Jesus because of the debt that he paid for us. Our choice is this. Here's the choice. That's what you get. That's the fruit. The choice is this. You despise his word or you fear his word. You despise his word. What does that mean? To despise his word, it means to hold in contempt as irrelevant. To hold in contempt as irrelevant. Now think about that for a moment. How many of us feel that way sometimes? Like the word doesn't apply to my situation. The word can't help me in my situation. I've heard people communicate, I mean, in our, in our day and age, it is blatant that people want to make you believe that the Bible is an outdated source of information. Are you hearing me? They want to make you believe that. The Bible is an ancient document. It's got some good stuff in it, but it's not good enough to help us run and, and direct, and it's not good enough for all that stuff. That's a dangerous place for people to be. But Jesus, look, the Bible is clear. The, the, the Bible gives us, God gives us this choice. You can despise the word. You can hold it as con in contempt, as irrelevant, or you fear, which means what? To revere or to, hold, or to esteem highly. So if I highly esteem the word, look at what the rest of the verse says. He says here, he says, he who despises the word, you hold it as irrelevant, you will be destroyed. But he who fears the commandment, who, who embraced the commandment as being true, as being necessary, will be rewarded. He goes on to say, the law of the wise is a fountain of life. So what does he want to do? He wants us to experience life that is a fountain. What does that mean? It means it is life that is continual. It doesn't stop. It's a life that continues to flow. That's why I said there's the greatest satisfaction in our obedience. And he says that the second part of that, verse 14, it says to turn one away from the snares of death. So if the life is not flowing in you, then what are you being caught up in? Death. So the choices are life or death. That's what he says. Turn to chapter 16 and verse 20. We'll look there to see what more God offers us and what he communicates. Chapter 16 of the book of Proverbs in verse 20. And it says this, it says, he who heeds the word wisely will find good. Say, find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Say, happy is he. Okay, so what does he say? We're offered good and happy. This is what this verse offers us. We don't have the negative part of this, but it says this. It says that we're offered good and happy. What does that mean? To be good and happy is talking about a blessed state that is a result of obeying what the scriptures have said. To the degree, when you look at a person who is in this state, to the degree that they are enviable. That's what it's saying. It's saying that if we are the type of people, according to this, this word, that we heed the word wisely, that we put our trust in the Lord, that there is a satisfaction, that there is something that we experience that overflows, that when other people see it, they will begin to envy that. They will wish that they had what you have, not because you are doing everything that they are doing, not, not because you are not doing the things that they are doing, but because you are experiencing something they're not. Because you are experiencing something in your heart and in your soul that they are not. That while they are trying to fill the void in their life with alcohol, with sex, with drugs, with all kind of different things, with whatever it is, with all types of pleasure, while they are trying to do that, you are experiencing satisfaction. And sometimes when God entrusts us with trials and hardship, they will be amazed that you are not turning to those same things because what? Because you have something inside of you. There is something in your soul where there is satisfaction satisfaction coming from the obedience and the trust in the almighty one because you realize who he is and that is what happens when we trust he offers us that so we can experience the life we can experience his goodness or we can experience death and we can experience the snare that God doesn't want us to experience turn to one more verse here on this point chapter 19 and verse 20 of the book of Proverbs or 16 I'm sorry chapter 19 and verse 16 This is a pretty clear verse, 19 and verse 16. It says, he who keeps the commandment, that word keeps, it means to guard. The commandment keeps his soul. And so we're offered satisfaction of soul. But he who is careless, in other words, he who could care less about the commandments of God. He who does not care about obeying the scriptures. He who decides, I choose my way over your way. What does the scripture say? Will die. So life or death, this is what he offers us. 
The beauty of this is that there is no greater satisfaction than to know that God is working in us and through us. That is the benefit that I talked about earlier. While the bearing fruit thing is not for me personally, it is for others to see the image and likeness of God manifesting through my life. I still get the benefit of my soul experiencing the fullness that Jesus wants me to experience. Amen? Amen. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God's laws do not change and give us the greatest. Say that with me again. Give us the greatest stability. Turn to Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 4. And some of these verses we touched on before, I think I may have touched on this one, probably did, I don't think I got into it enough, but the first time. Nonetheless, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 4, says, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. And so we're going to look at three different verses here. But in our day, we need stability. Why? Because we are in the midst of a culture war. Say culture war. There, there, there's, all kind of, there, there's all kind of things that are going on in our day, things that are, you know, that, 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 are, that, are, that are being attacked, especially in beliefs. The, the, um, I was watching. I won't tell you all the documentary because I don't want you to waste your time because for, for me, it, it breaks my heart. It was, a, it was a documentary of this guy. He was raised in a Christian church. Um, I mean, not in a Christian church. He was raised in a, in, 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 a, in a Christian home. He went to a Christian school. And as he was being raised up, he began to, um, to, he, he began to, to have questions about his faith. How many of you know it's okay to have questions about your faith? How many of you know that you're going to go through doubtful moments? If you just read the book of Psalms, you will see there were some doubtful moments. All right? Those, those doubtful moments made it into the Bible. Amen. Because there's nothing wrong with having doubtful moments. There's nothing wrong with thinking. Here is one of the biggest things that, that happened. I'll, I'll use this one. That, this, some of y'all may know this. I was looking at an article on the Huffington Post, and they were, they were making jokes about um, Marco Rubio. They asked Marco Rubio a question about creation. They asked him if he thought the earth was created in six days or not. And so Marco Rubio, his response to the, to the question was, man, he, he said something to the I didn't watch the video. I read it out. He said, I don't know, man. Right? He didn't stop there. He went on to say, he's like, look, you know, I don't know if it was six days, six 24 hours, if it was six errors or whatever. And he said, but I don't think that I should have any bearing on me being able to balance a budget or whatever the case was. That was the whole point. Well, the thing was, I watched, I, you know, I never really do this, but I don't really have time to do this too much. But I decided that I was going to click on a thing and said, if you want to hear the rest of this little interview, then click on this. And what they do is they have like a panel. I don't know, some of y'all are probably more familiar with this. And I'm assuming it's like a Skype panel, right? And so basically they have like four or five people that are supposed to be some kind of voices because they're definitely not experts. But anyway... I'm going to let you know they're not experts on anything. They're just voices, and they're vocalizing. And what they communicated in this little interview there, which was so insulting to me, I was like, this is amazing. They said that people that are like that are non-thinkers. So if you're a Christian and you believe the Bible, you're a non-thinker. Let me let that sink in for a moment. If you are a Christian and you believe the Bible... And you believe that God created the earth in six 24-hour days. You are an idiot. That's what a non-thinker is. That's another translation. That's what you are. I told you it would offend you at some point. That's what you are. That is what our culture wants to say. See, the, first, the, the worst part about that whole little argument there was that they were, they were saying, well, if he can't believe science, you know, that proves the age of the earth and all that stuff, right? Can somebody explain to me? I just, want you, I just want you to think about this for a moment. Have you thought for just one second the magnitude, the magnitude of the effect that the flood would have on the earth? I, I, don't, I, don't know if you've, I don't know if you've thought about that. I mean, just think about that. Just, just, just understand the entire earth being flooded. Okay, let me, let me ask you, what happens to you when you get in the water for a long time? You get wrinkled and you look way old, don't you? At least your hands do, right? I'm just saying. I'm just trying to help you paint a picture so we can think about this since we don't think. But anyway, the point is, now I want you to consider something else. 
Imagine what had to happen transitionally for everything to dry up. Do you think that that may, I just maybe, I don't know. Do you think that might have had something to do with the way that the, the age of the earth, because something that was unexplainable happened? Let me tell you one more thing about the non-thinkers that we are. No scientist, if, you, if y'all haven't seen this movie, I, I'm going to let you know. You need to see this movie. It is called, um, oh my goodness. Dude's name is Ben Stein. What is the name? No intelligence or what is it? Y'all know who I'm talking about. Expel. There you go. Now, th- now this is what I love. He is not even a Christian. He is not a Christian. Okay? He is Jewish. He doesn't believe in my Jesus like I do. So it's not like he's some Christian dude that's like trying to make a Christian. No, that's not it. He is a person who is a thinker who decided that he was going to investigate and he was going to interview scientists. And you know what any real scientist will tell you? No one, listen to this, no one on either side of the camp can reproduce what happened at creation. Did you hear what I just said? Anybody who thinks knows that evolution occurs, amen? No, y'all didn't say amen. Everybody knows evolution. I didn't say evolution is the way things happen. Don't get it twisted. Evolution occurs, amen? Okay, but here's the thing. Everybody who believes in evolution, they still can't prove what happened in creation. No one can prove it. I can't prove it. You know why? Because both of them require faith. But can I tell you something? To believe in evolution takes much more faith. Y'all ain't hearing me. It takes much more faith. It means you got to think much less. You need to be more of an idiot. Y'all love me today, right? Listen, in order to say, that's the way it happened. Glory to God. The point is, church, we are in a culture war. And you want to know what Marco Rubio should have said if he believes the Bible? He should have said crystal clear, I believe the earth was created in six 24-hour days. That's what the Bible says. Next question, please. There is no problem having a belief. And he should have, he should have said in parentheses, when one of y'all evolutionists can prove to me that something else happened, let me know. Let's go. Let's talk about something else. Because for some reason, Christians are incapable or they're fearful of stating what they believe. They're they're, they're afraid because it's not not politically correct or it doesn't sound smart enough. Listen to me, church. We need to understand we are in a culture war. So what does the scripture say here that we just looked at right now? Look at this verse again with me, verse 4. It says this. It says, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. So what happens is when I forsake the law, listen to me now. I forsake the law of God. I forsake the word of God. I praise the wicked. I make them look like their ways are right. But when I keep the law, I contend with them. Listen, I don't have to go look for an argument. All I have to do is live righteously. All I have to do is answer a question based on the scriptures. And guess what? There's a problem. There's a contention. Because I am saying, that joke ain't funny. I am saying, my child can get to the altar as a virgin. I don't care what the norm is. I don't care that they hand out condoms. I don't care that they teach safe sex. I teach abstinence. And I believe that that's the right way. And I believe that nothing is impossible for God. I know there's a lot of Christians that don't believe that way. That's, that's your issue if that's you. But the fact of the matter is, my Bible teaches certain things. And so when I say that I am going to live righteously, when I say that I am going to stand up for what is truth, what is Scripture, there's a contention. But you know what? This is the beauty of this. God's law gives us stability in the face of the wicked. If we will not forsake his law, it means don't be politically correct. Do and live what the scriptures tell you to live. Amen? Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this. It says, whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, a wise son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. 
The second point that I'll make here is God's laws give us stability against temptation and foolish living. When we embrace the laws of God, when we embrace the laws of God, what do we do? It says here, it says that we bring honor. We, we, or it says if, you, if, you, if you're a companion with gluttons and you, you shame your father, well, what's the opposite? If I'm not a companion of gluttons, if I'm not a companion of those who are living for vanity, who are living for wrong thing, if I'm not a companion of those because I am living according to the laws of God, then what does that mean? I bring honor and glory to my earthly father, which ultimately does what? Brings honor and glory to my heavenly father. And so it's God's laws that help me to do what? That help me to stand in the face of temptation. The third thing that we'll look at, we'll look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, One who turns his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So first of all, God's law gives us stability to, face, to stand in the face of wickedness of the wicked. God's law gives us stability against temptation and foolish living. And the third thing here is God's law gives us stability in our prayer life. When I am listening to what God's law says, you know what that means I know how to do? I know how to pray what God's will is. When I am listening to what God's word declares, then I will pray according to his word. My prayer will not be an abomination. But when I stop listening to the law of God, my prayer becomes an abomination because what? Because I am praying selfishly. Because I am praying according to my will, not his will. Because I'm praying not the way that I should be praying. And you know what's even a greater abomination to God? When he is communicating to you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he is showing you how you should live. He is showing you what he requires of you. And you continue to say no and reject his ways and reject his word. And you continue because this is what we do. We, 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 we don't listen to him. We get into trouble. We come back to him. We continue to trample upon his grace. That becomes an abomination to him. When we don't honor him, does it mean we're going to be perfect? I didn't say that. There's a difference between us being imperfect and us being totally hardened in our heart toward him. And us only caring about what he gives us and not who he is. Chapter 30, look, look at verse chapter 30 with me. As we're looking at these points of stability, instability is the result of root issues. When we have instability in our life, when we don't know where to stand, when the wicked are saying this is right and we don't know where to stand, it's an instability issue. And the reason that we have instability issues is because there are root issues. Remember, the root of wisdom is what? The word of God. There are root issues. And when I neglect or I reject or I turn away from or I ignore or I abandon or I stop listening to the word of God, I intentionally or unintentionally disconnect myself from the root of wisdom. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes I just don't want to hear it. Other times I don't even realize that I'm backsliding. Listen, I can guarantee you this. Nobody, nobody that I've ever met is backsliding. Be like, yeah, I'm backsliding. I'm cool with it. That isn't what happens. It doesn't happen overnight. It is progressive. You slowly but surely become harder and harder and harder until you get to the place where you don't care anymore. That is how it occurs. Chapter 30, verses 5 through 6. It says this, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his word, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Say this with me. God's word, God's word. provides us with proven safety. The first part of this verse says, every word of God. Say, every word of God. That means every single thing that God says. Everything that is in this Bible, you can bank on. Amen? Everything that God communicates, you can believe. The positive things, the blessings, and all of those things, you can believe that those who turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus, that they can experience and that they can trust in eternal life. Those who choose to continue to live in their sin, continue to try to earn heaven themselves, you can guarantee that they will experience hell. Those are things that you can put your money on. 
Those are things that you can guarantee that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is what that means. Anybody, no matter your color, no matter how bad your sins are, no matter how horrible you've been, no matter how many times you've come to church or whatever, no matter what you have done, if you call on his name, you will be saved, period. You can believe that. But you can also believe that when you do not put your faith in him, that you will experience eternal torment and separation from God. You can believe that if you continue to live in your sin, if you continue to dishonor God, if you continue to disrespect him, if you continue to not heed his call for repentance, you are looking forward to an eternal damnation. And that is not to make you afraid. That is to hopefully call you to wake up. Because the truth is that God sent his son to die in our place. So what? So we could have security in him. So we could have safety in him. So we could be delivered from our sins in him. But we have to put our faith in him. It says all of God's word. That word there, pure, is it means to smelt or to refine or to test or to prove is true. And when you read your Bible, read it. Read the Old Testament. Look at the prophecies that God says. Look at, look at what God is. Look at the book of Daniel for an example. Daniel comes to that 70th year of the children of Israel. For those of you who are not familiar with the story, but the children of Israel, they were in bondage in Babylon. And you remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know those stories. And so when they come up to their seven, about their 70th year of being in captivity, Daniel had been reading the book of Jeremiah. And because Jeremiah said they would be in bondage in captivity for 70 years and that God would bring deliverance, Daniel does what? He begins to fast and pray and seek God because like, okay, God, I want to know about this prophecy. And then what does God do? God begins to communicate to him about the kingdoms that are going to come, about the everlasting kingdom in Jesus. He communicates all that stuff. When you look at your Bible, I believe it's something like two-thirds or one-third of your Bible is is, is prophecy. And two-thirds of that one-third have already come to pass exactly as the Bible said they would. That's pretty amazing. And it's scary if you're on the wrong side of that line. If you're on the side of non-belief, if you're on the side of doubting, if you're on the side where, you know what, I don't need Jesus, that's a scary place to be because every single one of those prophecies, the same way that all of these prophecies have already come to pass, so the rest of them will. Every word of God is proven. Every, not some of his words, all of his words. He says this, he says, every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield, say shield. He's a covering. He's one that protects those who put their trust in him. He doesn't say that you're going to have a perfect life. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. I was listening to this this, um, this, this movie. I don't know if I told you all about it, but um, it probably has the most offensive title on the planet that I've ever seen, and it's called this, Beware of Christians. I didn't want to watch it because I was, you know, I was was offended. But then I watched it. And I'm actually thinking about taking, like, some of our older, you know, college students and stuff like that through this movie. And there's a reason for that. Because when I decided to sit down and watch the movie, because, you know, I'm like, I want to hear what people are saying. And you know what the movie's about? It's about these four college students that are Christians in America. And they wanted to know, man, there's got to be more to Christianity than what we're experiencing. Not more to life, more to Christianity. More to being a Christian than what we're experiencing. And so rather than them going to some, some, you know, what we would call a spiritual retreat, like to some backwoods somewhere, to have some Holy Ghost encounter, those are all beautiful. I have no issue with them. Love them. But listen to me. They chose to do something different. They went to Europe. And they went on their own, like, personal mission trip. Like, they were trying to find, you know, Jesus and everything. When they went over there, they had conversations on all kinds of topics with people in that culture. Talked about what was a Christian to them, according to their their definition. They asked them about questions like, you know, sex before marriage. All of these, they had all of these different questions that they asked. And, and then at the end of their conversation, they would go out there with the video cameras. They would have the conversation with these people. Then they would come back, and they would have like a roundtable on that topic, and they would look at what does the Bible say about these things? What does the Bible say about these topics that we ask people about on these streets? And how do those things line up? And so they went through all of that. And at the end of the of, of the um. At the, end of the, the, at the end of the movie, each of these four guys, they had a moment that they could share what they learned or what God impressed upon their heart and what they wanted to share with everyone that was sitting in the building or, or that was watching the movie. And so this one guy, he gets up there and he says, you know, he said, 
I, I just understand about how difficult it is to be a Christian. It's not supposed to be easy. Amen? He said, and I remember when I was a kid in church, he said, and, and he said it would always happen the same exact way. He said, as soon as the pastor got to a certain point in the message, he said, the music would come on. And sometimes that happens here, sometimes it doesn't. He said, the music would come on. And he said, and the pastor would say the same exact thing. And he would say, if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, he said, all you need to do is say this prayer. So that way you can be saved, you can be delivered from your sins. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what the kid said, but he went through all of that. And he said, and then he said, just pray this prayer. And he said, and, and, and it was done. He said, but you know what? And the kid began weeping. And he said, but I think that every pastor should add one other thing to that statement. And this is going to be the hardest decision you are ever going to have to live out for the rest of your life. That prayer that you're going to pray in faith your faith is going to save you. That is true. But you want to know something? It's not going to be an easy walk. It's not going to be all nice and soft like this music was. Everything is not going to be all peachy like it is at this moment. But if you're really going to be a Christian, then you're going to be a Christian. You're not going to continue to give Christians a bad name. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm living like a heathen. No. And so it says here that every word of God is pure. Every, not some, every word of God is pure. And he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. He wants, he is waiting for all of us, no matter where we are. If we're walking with him, he is waiting for you to put greater trust in him, greater faith in him, greater hope in him. He's waiting for us to do that. And for those of you that are in this place that are not walking with him, he is calling you to put your faith in him. And let me tell you something. Nobody needs a shield if they're not going to be attacked. Oh, glory to God. What, is it, what, what does it need to be a shield for? If it's going to be easy, he's going to walk with you down the road. You don't need a shield. You know who wears shields? Warriors. That's who needs a shield. People who are going to be bombarded. People who are going to be attacked. People who are going to experience hardship. They need a shield. And so this isn't a call to people to be cowards. This is a call to people to be valiant. But not trust in your own strength, but trust in the strength of the one who inspired his word. One of the greatest temptations in our pursuit of God's wisdom is to find the proverbial loopholes. That's for all of us, amen? Y'all got quiet, man. Sean, laugh. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know about you, but I try to find those loopholes. Remember my daughter? I, I, I love that. I, I will never forget for the rest of my life that moment that she said, you know, Daddy, you know, they want you to treat them this way. That's why they treated you. So that's how you live out the golden rule. Remember? I told you all that story before. Do unto others you have them do unto you. And she was like, yeah, well, they did this unto us, so that must be what they want. So do that unto them. That's a loophole. And it sounds good. I mean, that, that, that took some wit. I mean, in my opinion, I was like, not she's my daughter, but I'm like, man, she's my daughter. I'm just saying. You know, but to think about that, like, you, you know what? That works. Right? You know, live by, so they, they, they treat me how they want me to be, how they want to be treated, so that's what they did. But the fact is, we look for those loopholes, those things we have. Like, like, I'll give you another example of a loophole. You get offended with someone, and you know that you should pray about your offense with them. And so your loophole is, I'll pray until I feel better, and then I'll wait for the direction of the Lord. Listen to me. You don't need to wait for the direction of the Lord. He's already directed you. Are y'all hearing me? You can pray all you want. You can pray until you are blue in the face. You can pray until your heart is soft, until you not have no feeling. That's all good. Pray, do, do all that. But don't forget to obey the scriptures. That doesn't give you a loophole out. It didn't say, okay, go pray, and when your heart feels okay, don't worry about it. <laughs> that is not what the scripture said. The scripture says that if someone offends you, what do you do? You go to them. This is what this, the scriptures teach us, that we are to confront those situations. That's just the bottom line. And I, I will tell you, I will be the first one to admit to you, that is my favorite loophole. I'm, I'm, look, I'm just confessing my sin to you because I'm letting you know that that's wrong. I don't want you to hide behind that either. That, that, that is my favorite loophole because I'm like, God, look, I'm just going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to let you deal with them. Isn't that what we want? God, you deal with them. Hold on. God says, I want you to deal with them. Because I want to deal with you and them at the same time. And as long as you don't confront them, I can't deal with either of you. 
So I will continue to let you both offend each other until you decide to deal with each other. Isn't our God amazing? No loophole. No loophole. And so we do. We look for those loopholes. We look for those ways. And here's here's the reason. What we do is when we're looking for wisdom, remember I said, are we crying out for wisdom? We try to find a wisdom that caters to our desires rather than calls us to repentance. That's what we want. We want a wisdom that makes us feel good about whatever our decision is. We want a wisdom from someone who told us, you know, this is how they dealt with it. And even though you know that that's not biblical, even though you know that that's not the way that the Spirit of God has been dealing with you, whether it's through leaders or whatever, but you try to find that loophole. Don't deal with people that way. Don't deal with God that way. The question in the beginning was, are you crying out for the wisdom? Are you searching out for wisdom in the Scripture? My closing question is this, do you really know the value of the scriptures as the primary source of divine wisdom? Do you really know that? Do you really believe that? After today, I hope you do. I ask you to turn to one last place and we'll close. Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, when you got to say so. It says, blessed is the man. That same word blessed there is like the happy, I believe, in chapter 16 and verse 20 in the book of Proverbs. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Look at the progression. You walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, you listen to what the ungodly are saying. Friends, family, media, whatever it is. You listen to what they're saying, and you start doing what they say. The next point is you stand in their path. Now you start hanging with them. Now now, now you're like in the same place as they are, knowing you shouldn't be with them. And then the last thing it says, then you sit in the seat of the scornful. Because you know what wicked people do? I told you about it earlier. They scorn the righteous. They mock the righteous. So now you take your position with them. That's what it says happens. And you know where it all starts? Listening to the wrong voice. Instead of listening to the voice of wisdom, instead of delighting in the word of God, we listen to the voice of folly. And so the question is, do you really know? And are you really valuing God the way that you should by honoring his word? Stand to your feet, please.